the Awareness Revolution Podcast, where we bring you alternative views on big topics that affect just about everyone. If you want to improve your life and change the world, then stay tuned. You'll hear cutting-edge health, financial, and personal development strategies from a revolutionary perspective. Warning, listening may take you outside your comfort zone, separate you from the pack, and change the way you see the world. Here's your host, Jeremy Kinney. We're here at Narcopoco 2019, and our wonderful guest, this is going to be different, because this guy understands crypto from a technical perspective, so I wanted to bring him on pick his brain because I've been wanting to basically do it for a while and I figured uh, that there's many other people that would like to as well so first of all thanks for agreeing to do the interview yeah thank you would you mind just starting off by telling people who you are and what you do sure Um, my name is Chris Basia I'm a uh, developer for on a project called Open Bazaar it Open Bazaar is a um, kind of a a decentralized e-commerce marketplace kind of like eBay but it's a peer-to-peer network. Um, I'm also a uh, Bitcoin Cash uh, protocol developer. I work on Bitcoin Cash stuff in, in my spare time mostly. That's awesome. So obviously you're doing your spare time because um, you're passionate about it. You really believe in the project yeah. in particular and crypto in general, I'm yeah. guessing. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so I know that you're a speaker here. That's awesome. Uh, so I'm curious what your talk was about. Yeah, so my talk was kind of mostly from the Bitcoin Cash perspective. Um, we had this uh, kind of crazy event in Bitcoin Cash last year um, where there's this guy named Craig Wright who is going around um, claiming that he's Satoshi Nakamoto, the person who created Bitcoin. Most people think he's full of shit. Uh, you know, I tend to think he's full of shit. That's, I spent a good deal of time in the talk going through that. Um, but basically last year he tried to essentially do like a hostile takeover of Bitcoin Cash. He tried to centralize it under his control. Um, and so I just kind of went through, you know, what led up to that and, um, you know, how, how it ended up playing out. I mean, ultimately we had this big, like we called it hash war and ultimately we won and he, he lost and was unsuccessful, but, um, it's a pretty interesting story. Hmm. So that was your talk. You were telling the uh, the story of how that all um, yeah. happened and everything. Yeah, yeah. you know, it's funny. I, I hadn't heard about that. So yeah, yeah. Uh, they'll probably put the talk online at some point. It'd probably be interesting to check out. Was it on the main stage? Uh, Crypto focus stage. Okay, that's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Um. Cool. Okay. So one one of the questions that I always want to ask someone that actually knows enough about the programming language. And basically, how a blockchain is built. Um, the first main thing is this is this is a, lo- a lot of the people that are on the fence with crypto that they want to like it, they want to believe in it, but they're just so skeptical of government, and they think that it's just some sort of government uh, created uh, technology to trick us into some cashless society, basically. Mm-hmm. So, um. So I guess my question is, what do you think the chances are, or or is it possible that there's some sort of backdoor in the code that the uh, the other software developers are overlooking, 
and that may um, give it some unknown use in the future that could actually be used to oppress us as opposed to make us free? Um, in that context, I really don't think there is. There's um, the, the, the actual code is pretty thoroughly peer-reviewed. It's been strongly peer-reviewed for I mean, almost a decade now. A lot, of, a lot of people looking at it, a lot of eyes looking at it. And I don't think there's really anything that like someone could do to just make it behave fundamentally differently than it's supposed to. There's maybe some, and I don't, I don't want to say concerned about, but the, the only place I could think of where there could be anything remotely related to backdoors is with some of the um, parameters for the elliptic curves that are used in the cryptography. Um, but even that has been going pretty rock steady for you know the last decade. I think that's pretty heavily peer reviewed. It's over my head to the ability to actually kind of review that that stuff, the cryptography part of it. But um, if that if something did go wrong in that, it isn't like you wouldn't be able to like take over the system. Like instead, what would happen is potentially it would allow people to spend other people's bitcoins. But if that were to happen very quickly, the developers would swap out the existing algorithms for alternatives and and try and uh, um, you know find ways to uh, you know mitigate that that problem. So I don't think it's something that like like the worst case scenario is like the system stops functioning. I don't think the worst case scenario is that it gets like repurposed for some other like nefarious purpose. Cool. Yeah, that's gonna. Um, help make a lot of people more um, comfortable with it, which is which is great. So, um, I really believe it has a, a huge potential for humanity in so many different ways, which is why it's one of the things that I cover within the awareness revolution. And people still aren't aware of it. Um, the people, some of the people that are, they they have the concerns, which is why I ask. Um, but then a lot of people just they don't know. Um, so I, I know that we have a long way to go before we reach a mass adoption. So I'm wondering, I mean, I think awareness is a big part of it. Um, it's hard to understand, so it's hard to explain to others. But from a technical perspective, what do you think um, is, is lacking? Um, I mean, because I, I don't know about programming code. It just seems like just, we just need to get enough guys together to program code, and mm -hmm. it should be scalable. But, uh, I mean, assuming if that's even the, the biggest hurdle we have. but So I guess, what do you think the biggest hurdle we have technology-wise? Why? Because I know it's still in its infancy. What do you think the biggest hurdle is and like, how we can overcome it or how long do you think we're going to take to overcome it? Well, so from a, a technical perspective, there's definitely, I would maybe say three areas that we, we, we can improve on. Um, where, I mean, Bitcoin's not horrible in these three areas, but there's, it certainly could use improvement. One is, as you mentioned, scalability. Um, we can scale it to fairly large sizes today, maybe like Visa scale, and still have it remain relatively decentralized. Um, if you start wanting to go to like global adoption scale, um, it's going to require some pretty serious changes to how the, the protocol functions that we don't, um, you know, this is still a bit researchy, and we don't really maybe have a full idea of, of how, how to get there. So scalability is one improvement. Privacy is the other. Um, there are some coins that are experimenting with improved privacy, like 
Monero, Zcash, there's another one now called Grin, is a little bit more private. So there's some um, advancements going on in privacy technology, but all of them um, to date kind of come at the expense of the first part, which is scalability. That when you layer on these additional privacy techniques, it tends to make the system even less scalable than it already is. Um, so there's an antagonism there. Um, so if we could kind of resolve that antagonism and, and scale it in ways that don't, um, or, or in, create privacy technologies that don't harm the scalability of the system, that would be ideal. And then the last one is maybe, maybe related to like the security part of it. So the, I mean, Bitcoin has been going pretty strong for, for 10 years now, but there's a perpetual concern that the mining part of it, aspect of it might be too centralized and it may be easy to kind of, um, uh, I, I don't know, shut down the system if the mining is too centralized. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of saw this as a little bit with my talk with Bitcoin Cash. Part of the reason why this Craig Wright even came close to taking over Bitcoin Cash is because the, the security of the mining was not um, as strong as it uh, otherwise uh, we'd like it to be. So improving security in that area is probably the other. So the, I think those are like the three main technical things that could be improved. The other one is just the user experience, but that's more up, not at like the protocol level, it's people building like applications and stuff. Hmm. Well, I think the, the first main use for crypto will likely be as a means of exchange since that's what Bitcoin uh, was created to be and that's how people see it. Mm -hmm. But I know Bitcoin took a little bit of a different direction more towards uh, being a store of value. So um, which crypto do you think would be the most likely to become the means of exchange for something as small as lunch um, and why? Yeah. Um, I don't know. So it, it's, it's hard to say. Like there's, Bitcoin definitely has like a network effect to it, which I think is why it still remains number one. I think there's quite a few people don't agree with the direction that Bitcoin is is going, and to, there's enough people. I would say there's enough people who don't agree with it that it would make me question why Bitcoin is still number one. But I think it's largely due to the strong network effect that it has. So it may ultimately, at the end of the day, it may be Bitcoin just for the sake of it was first. It has the strongest network effect and what have you. Or it could maybe be something else comes along. I don't. I don't really know. I work on Bitcoin Cash because, you know, I find the, I don't know. I, fi I find it to be like um, these problems are like engineering problems, and, and I, you know, have fun like solving them. Um, and so I think I think we can get Bitcoin Cash to a point where it's functioning really really well for that purpose. But can that is that enough to overcome, let's say, Bitcoin's and BTC's uh, network effect? Maybe not, right? So I, it's just kind of we have to, you know, see how things play out, I guess. So what you're, what, okay, so we were just talking about scalability, um, and, and you're saying we might have a little trouble making it completely scalable mm -hmm. all over the globe. But what if it isn't just one coin that's a means of exchange? Do you think that since we could use multiple coins, that if they were to be, somewhat more even where we're actually using them all would wouldn't that be able to allow us to do far more transactions because we're not relying on one single yeah that's one way to do it that's kind of a form of 
they call it sharding. It's like um, you're just splitting the transaction volume across multiple chains. So, I mean, you could almost imagine if you had geographical coins, you know, one coin for Asia, one for North America. Like, you know, if you split the transaction volume across these chains, it's um, the chains can, you know, easier, it's more easy to handle the load. The question then becomes switching in and out between you're doing you know, cross-border transactions or cross-chain transactions is where things start to get a little bit tricky, but potentially feasible. And that's kind of along the lines of where a lot of the scalability solutions are going, where it's, it's kind of like a sharded system like that, where um, you know, not everyone validates the full blockchain, but they validate parts of it, and there's some interoperability there between these different shards. So I think that's, I mean, you're kind of hinting at like what, what is part of the scaling solution, but it's still um, fairly technical and I don't know if we know how to, to do it really well at this point. What do you think the most exciting thing in crypto is right now? Uh, the most exciting thing, um, you know, it, it's hard to say. Certainly the most hyped thing I think is the Lightning Network on Bitcoin, but is that going to play out? I don't know. I guess we'll see. I mean, it's starting to get a lot of press, and people are starting to play around with it. But I think we're, we'll we'll have a better idea of, of how well it's going to work, um, you know, in the next year or two. Um, other than that, you know, I, I still think we're we're kind of targeting you know money for as like the main application for this stuff. Um, We've seen a lot of other applications, you know, people building a lot of other things on the blockchain, and we haven't had anything like really take off yet, right? There's there hasn't been any like killer app that's done really well, um, other than maybe the you know trading assets, store of value type deal, is the thing that has kind of done the best so far. Crypto kitties, which yeah, doesn't yeah, really yeah, 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 <laughs> doesn't really help us much. I don't know how to count that, <laughs> <laughs> but um. So just in case, uh, I'd imagine a lot of people watching really don't even understand the Lightning Network. Mm -hmm. So um, maybe could you, I know it's, it's complicated, um, but like maybe kind of explain why it, it's, uh, like what it is and just why it's on a lot of people's radar as far as being the next big thing to happen. Yeah, so... Like one of the scaling debates, so this was the ultimately the source of the debate. There was a, like a three, four year long debate in the Bitcoin community over how best to scale Bitcoin. And the result of that split, um, you know, essentially there were irreconcilable differences between different groups of people. I, I was probably on one side of the debate. Um, and the end result of that was the community split and, and, the, and essentially the, ch the coin split, the chain split. Bitcoin Cash essentially split off from Bitcoin as a result of this, um, you know, com community dispute. And so the, the Bitcoin core side, their kind of vision for Bitcoin is where Bitcoin itself is transformed into a, a system, into basically a settlement system where transactions tend to be very slow and very expensive. Um, which is kind of the opposite of how Bitcoin historically functioned. Bitcoin was always cheap and fast. And so to, to see this, it's a pretty radical transformation that, they, that the core developers wanted to take Bitcoin into to transform it into something that's slow and expensive. Um, but the idea is that you can then build sort of like payment type systems on top of it that can be potentially be cheaper and faster. Um, and so, you know, one, 
one example, it's not a great example, but one way you could do this is to build kind of a custodial banking system on top of the chain where we deposit money into a bank account. And you can imagine two people have um, coins in the same bank at the same bank, or me and you have coins at the same, have the same, a bank account at the same bank. If I want to send you a payment, the bank never actually broadcasts the transaction to the Bitcoin network. Instead, they just reduce my balance and increase your balance. Um, so that's what's called like an off-chain transaction. The transaction never actually hits the blockchain. Um, and then you can imagine some kind of interbank clearing system that the banks could use um, to send payments between banks without going on the chain either. Um, th so that's one way you could do off-chain payments. The downside of that is it's a custodial system where I have to give up control of my coins to the bank. The Lightning Network attempts to kind of do the same thing but without giving up control of your coins. So it, te it tends to be kind of like a non-custodial system where the individual user retains control of their own coins and their own keys, but the bulk of the transactions are done off-chain, and they're periodically, there's some periodic settlement that's done on-chain. Um, now, it's, in my opinion, like they, they're constructing a huge Rube Goldberg machine to make this work, so like under the hood, it's, it's insanely complex, the, the code and the protocol to try and make this work. And it's not clear, I think, at this point, if it's going to be reliable enough um, with, with, you know, for various technical reasons of the way payments have to move from hop to hop. Is it going to be reliable enough um, to where payments can go through whenever you want them? Um, you know, how, what's the network topology going to look like? Is it going to be very distributed and peer-to-peer? -peer, or is it going to be more centralized around a couple large-scale payment hubs and this sort of stuff? And, uh, these are like unanswered questions that we'll, I guess we'll get more answers to going forward. That was a really good explanation and um, probably the shortest, most simple um, explanation that I've heard. So that was, that was really good. Okay, so what do you think about, because um, I know it's not just the Bitcoin that's working on Lightning Network, but the Litecoin Foundation is also working on building a Lightning Network. Um, are you familiar with maybe the differences between the two and, and maybe the difference in the direction that they're going with it or the difference in how far along they are into implementing it and to where a lot of people are actually using it? Well, um, so I, I'm not too familiar with, with the differences, but I do know that historically Litecoin, like the development model for Litecoin has mostly been to copy and paste the code from Bitcoin. So, in fact, Litecoin was started as kind of a copy and paste of Bitcoin. They took the code, copied it, pasted it, and changed like two, two tiny variables and called it Litecoin. And really from that day forward, the, all the development on Litecoin has been every time the, the Bitcoin developers make a change to Bitcoin, they just copy and paste that change into Litecoin. So I kind of assume that the Lightning Network on Litecoin is going to be like a copy and paste of, of the Lightning Network on Bitcoin. Now. Um, there are some other people working on different variants of this, so like Ethereum, um, I think there are people on Ethereum working on an Ethereum version of the Lightning Network that I think does work fundamentally differently than the Lightning Network on, on, uh, on Bitcoin and, and maybe Litecoin. But, um, but I think like t from, from a technical perspective, I think, on, you know, the, from, or from a high level perspective, I think it's mostly going to operate the same. It's just 
technically maybe a little different under the hood because Ethereum works different than Bitcoin. Right. So just for the people that are listening out there, um, because you're mentioning Bitcoin Cash and we're talking about Bitcoin and Litecoin, Lightning Network. Um, So Bitcoin Cash took a different approach of increasing the block sizes as a way of making, keeping the transactions fast and cheap like Bitcoin was originally before a lot of people started Mm-hmm. adopting it and using it, yeah. right? That yeah, that, that's accurate. I, I would also point out that I think a lot of the arguments that the Bitcoin core developers made against increasing the block size were not, they're not necessarily wrong. Well, I think, in my opinion, they were wrong. Like, you know, the, the size of the blocks on Bitcoin Cash today is not really a threat to decentralization. So the argument was if you increase the block size, you're you're potentially going to increase centralization on the network. It'll cost more money to run a node and this sort of thing. But isn't that what happened to Bitcoin, though? Um, well, it, the, the cost to run a node didn't go up, but the transaction fees did go up. So that's well, I mean, what... I mean, um, sorry to cut you off. Um, uh, I think, like, a, a, like the the mining, the miners got a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, so they gave them more control, and that's how they were able to change the direction of Bitcoin. Wouldn't that be? Because it could have been a, high, a big it... percentage of people that were buying Bitcoin or owning mm-hmm. Bitcoin or using Bitcoin, it was probably a small percentage of people that were able to um, steer the ship, so to speak, right? Uh, yeah, I don't think it was the miners. I think it was more the developers. Um, part of what made it a little bit easier for them to do that on Bitcoin is that um, Bitcoin had an original hard-coded block size limit in it, that hard-coded at one megabyte that was put in by Satoshi. And so they just argued not to change it. So they didn't. So it, it's weird in that it was they were kind of changing Bitcoin by not changing Bitcoin, right? By like doing nothing as the network came under higher load, as more people used it. Simply by doing nothing, it, it caused the properties to change. And um, wasn't the idea for it to change because it was mentioned in the white paper to increase the block size when necessary? I haven't read the right paper, so it's kind of uh, yeah, a not question. Yeah, white paper, but Satoshi did mention that more or less. Uh, yeah, that, if you, that, you know, we'll just increase the block size when it's necessary. But the, um, there, is, there is a genuine concern about uh, increasing the block size causing centralization pressure, but not really at the block sizes that we're likely to see anytime soon. It's, we're, it's when we start getting like close to Visa scale and this sort of stuff. Like I think we can probably handle PayPal scale without it affecting decentralization really at all. But once you start getting like to close to Visa scale and beyond Visa scale, you start worrying that the increasing cost of running a node may start creating some centralization pressure. So I think the Bitcoin Cash um, perspective on this is to let's make the changes necessary to the protocol so that we can try and scale while remaining decentralized. So the, I think you know our focus in Bitcoin Cash is very much like an engineering focus on how to optimize this thing so that we can keep the retain the properties that we want, including decentralization, while st- still scaling it. It's like an engineering challenge, and that's kind of an uh, that. So whereas the Bitcoin Cash developers are kind of saying like, look, we're up for the challenge. We're willing to kind of make the changes necessary to do this. The Bitcoin Core developers were saying kind of like. Our vision for Bitcoin is we never make those type of changes, right? Bitcoin is more or less like locked in stone, and you know it just needs to remain locked in stone, like the protocol. Um, and so that that's kind of a big difference in philosophy between Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. Hmm. 
so going back to what you said about um, Litecoin being a copy and paste almost completely mm -hmm. of the Bitcoin blockchain, so doesn't that mean virtually anyone can copy and paste and create their own crypto? Yeah, and I think really like kind of the only reason Litecoin's still where it is is because it was first, right? So it was like Charlie Lee was the first one to do like copy and paste and he made a lot of money and a lot of other people said, hey, hey, you know, maybe I can make a lot of money by doing the same thing. So many people put out their own very similar coins, but every subsequent one, um, it was like worth like exponentially less, you know, than, than the original copy and paste. So, so they were eventually it's, worthless. It, yeah, <laughs> so it's, it's weird. It's like, it's almost kind of like artwork, you know, like, you got Jackson Pollock drips a bunch of paint on a painting and it, you know, it's worth like millions of dollars, but like I could do the exact same thing and it's worth zero. It's because, you know, he was the one who came up with the idea to do it, you know? So it's like there's value there, I guess, in being first, um, which is essentially what Litecoin was, you know? All the yeah. subsequent people who follow behind and do the same thing, it's just going to be worth less and less and less. Right. Well, even um, Bitcoin being the first mm -hmm. it has a huge dominance. Yeah. Um, and it always has. So um, I think it'll be interesting to see if and when they lose their dominance because it's such a high per percentage for dominance right yeah. now. Yeah, and we saw we saw this too with so when Bitcoin Cash forked off and split off of Bitcoin, it was the first one to do so. Everyone looked. <laughs> a lot of people looked at that and were like, "Wow, look, Bitcoin Cash actually has uh, like a high valuation." Maybe I can do the same thing and make some money that way. So you just saw this huge rush of people to try and follow in Bitcoin Cash footsteps and try and fork off of um, Bitcoin. But everyone after Bitcoin Cash was just worth less and less and less and less. So, um, until like if you do that today and you fork Bitcoin, like it, nobody cares. Um, but it, you know, I think it was it was Bitcoin Cash and then it was like Bitcoin Gold. And, Bitcoin Diamond. Right, and right. I've started seeing them pop yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, I haven't even looked into them. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, it was just like a gold rush to try and everyone's just trying to make a quick buck, you know, that sort of thing. Well, before we go, why don't you go ahead and tell people um, if I missed anything that you'd like to tell them, go ahead. And if not, just give them an idea of where they can find you online so they can keep up with you or learn more from yeah. you. Yeah, um, you could find me on, on Twitter. I'm pretty active talking about like cryptocurrency stuff on Twitter. My Handle is at Chris Pacia, P A C I A. Um, you can check out our company's website, uh, openbazaar.org. You can you can uh, download Open Bazaar from there, try it out, play around with it, and uh, yeah, maybe list some stuff for sale or buy some things. Awesome, that's awesome. Cool, thanks a lot, cool. man. Yeah, thank awesome. you.